Welcome to Church of the Rock from Winnipeg. Stay tuned to this week's thought-provoking message from Pastor Mark Hughes. Well, this morning my message is entitled, Great Big God. Now, I have one simple question for you today. How big is your God? Oh, I, I know everybody's God is the same size. And, you know, he, he's God irrespective of how big you think he is. But how big you think he is actually determines a whole lot. And when we begin to understand who our God is and how great our God is, it begins to change everything for us. Now, here's the problem. We live in a world where our society, our culture is diminishing God. I mean, science has basically dismissed God as superstition of simple-minded men. Isn't that right? Uh, you know, it was Christopher Hitchens, the late atheist Christopher Hitchens, who wrote the book, uh, God is not great, and he attacked the church, and he attacked God. And don't think that doesn't affect our view of God, because it does. And then religion has taken God, and if you ask me, what we have done is we have reduced him to the warm and fuzzy heavenly buddy. You know, your BFF in heaven that makes you feel real good about yourself? And, you know, that's not who our God is. A number of years ago, there was a movie called Dogma. It kind of you know, poked some fun at the church, actually. And there was a character in it, uh, Cardinal Glick. And uh, he was played by that vile George Carlin. And he decided that Jesus on the cross was too depressing of an image. He came up with the buddy Christ. And you've probably seen this picture. Here's, here's the buddy Christ, you know, winking, thumbs up, pointer, who's your buddy? And this is sort of the picture that many people in the church have of, of the Lord today. And you know what? That's not my God. I mean, I find that interesting, you know, and people go through life. I don't care if it rains or freezes, as long as I've got my plastic Jesus. Uh, but that's not going to help you. And here's the problem. When we diminish who God really is, what happens is our problems in life are, you know, sickness and disease and torment and, and marital problems and relational problems and financial problems, those things begin to loom large and they become insurmountable in our life and it's almost like our problems are bigger than our God. And that's why when Nehemiah, you'll remember this story, he was restoring the gates of the city and the walls of the city of Jerusalem and while he was doing this, the, they were getting attacked and he wanted to encourage the people and he said, remember the Lord, great and awesome. Why was he telling them that? Because it wasn't about them. It wasn't about how strong they were. It was about how big their God was. So don't tell God how big your problem is. Tell your problem how big your God is. That's the real answer here. How many of you grew up in my world where when we were kids and in the schoolyard, we used to have this taunt and it went like this. My dad's bigger than your dad. How many of you remember that? My dad's bigger than your dad. My dad can beat your dad up. And you know, it's sort of a ridiculous thing to say. And what exactly did that mean anyway? I'll tell you what, what was, it was all about was this. Was to us, when we were little children, our dad were these enormous creatures, weren't they? And they could vanquish any foe and any villain, and they could take care of any problem. And so it didn't matter what situation we were in. We always felt secure when Dad was around because he was, compared to us, he was a giant. But here's what I don't want you to miss. There is something about that idea that my dad is bigger than your dad that we need to translate into our relationship with God. Our God 
is bigger than any other God. Our God is bigger than any other problem. Our God is big God. Science now tells us that there are some at least 10 trillion stars in the universe, and yet God says that he's called them all by name and numbered each and every one of them. I mean, how many stars can you name? I can name two, the sun and Alpha Centauri, and I'm pretty sure that might be a rock band, right? And uh, I can't remember, I don't know the rest of the stars, but God has named them all. I have three kids, and I can't seem to remember all of their names. And yet God is keeping track of all the stars in the universe, all 10 trillion of them, and he's called every last one of them by name. Maybe we don't know the names, but he knows the names of them. Actually, if you go read the rest of Isaiah 40, it talks about the other things. It says that he holds the waters of the earth in the hollow of his hand, and he says he has created and stretched out the universe, and he has created it by the span of his hand. And so when he measured the universe, he went like this, and he went that big. Well, this is what we know today, that the universe is 13.67 billion light years from one side to the other. That means if you could travel at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, it would take you 13.67 billion years to go from one side to the other. There is no way in our little minds that we can comprehend the universe in which we live. And yet God said he measured the universe with the span of his hand. Mm, that big, 13.67 billion light years across. That's a pretty big God. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to give you a little theology lesson on this. And it's going to seem complicated, but it's really not. And I'm going to talk to you about the incommunicable attributes of God. You went, the what? And, and here, here are what they are. The incommunicable, and I'll tell you what that word means in a moment. Attributes of God are this. They're the omniscience, which is the all-knowing, the omnipresent, which is all-present, and the omnipotence of God, which is his all-powerful. And the reason we call them the incommunicable attributes of God in theology is this. You see, you were created in the image of God, right? And when God created you in the image, he communic communicated to you many of the attributes of God, many of the things that, that are God are in you. For example, the power to love and the personality and creativity and mercy and knowledge. And, and those are the attributes of God that he communicated to you. But there are certain attributes of God that he did not give you, that only he possesses, the incommunicable attributes of God. And three of them are, are omniscience and omnipresence and omnipotence. And these are things that are unique to God. These are things that set God apart, not only from you, but from every God or every false God in the world. And these are the things that make God, God. And what, if, we begun to, if we begin to understand these attributes of God, it will change the way you relate to him. And I promise you, it will change your life. Because you will remember the Lord great and awesome. And the first thing is this. It's, it's this thing called omniscience. God knows, it's hard for us to get our heads around this, but God knows everything about everything. Do you know that you know a few things about a few things? Am I right about that? I mean, you could spend your whole life studying one thing, and you could become the world's most foremost expert in that one thing, and there'd still be a million, zillion, billion things that you wouldn't know, right? I mean, we know some very smart people and very narrow perspective. I'll give you an example of that from history. In the 19th century, there was a... A man, he was born a slave, his name was George Washington Carver, 
And uh, here's a picture of him. How many of you know who this man is? How many of you have heard stories? A few of you know this. And uh, he was this man born into slavery, and he became one of the great inventors and one of the great scientists uh, of, of, you know, the last couple of centuries. And uh, he, he just did incredible things and he incredible mind. And particularly his interest was botany and science. And uh, what happened one day as a Christian man, he, was, he, was, he would pray often and he would say this. He said, Lord, show me the secrets to your universe. And he asked that prayer many times. And one day God answered him. This is his story. And he said, one day God answered him and said, oh, little man, you can't possibly comprehend the, the secrets of the universe but I will show you the secrets of the peanut. And for the rest of his life, he studied the peanut, and George Washington Carver discovered 300 different uses for the peanut. Everything from soap to shampoo to plastic to oil to food, and the, the list went on and on. In fact, much of the science that we use today to extract oils and plastics from soybeans and other oil crops, actually it was George Washington Carver that who discovered these things as God revealed to him everything he needed to know about the peanut. And so he did this for many years, did nothing but study the peanut. And then finally he thought, I'm going to expand my horizons. And many years later, he held up a sweet potato and he said, Lord, show me the secret of the sweet potato. <laughs> and he came up with 115 discoveries about the sweet potato. And I, the reason I tell you this story is, is we can know so little about our world. We only know what we know, and if we knew what we didn't know, it would absolutely, completely blow our minds what we don't know. And this is what God says. He says that are, are not, Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 10, he said, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them falls from a tree outside of my will. He's taking, he's taking care of of every sparrow in the field that nobody cares about. And then he said this about you. And he says, do you not know that the very hairs on your head are numbered? I mean, how about that? The hairs on your number. Men, you know what I'm talking about here. That number changes every single day. <laughs> and, unless you got, you know, you, you look like Vin Diesel and you got her beat, right? <laughs> You're good. But I mean, it, it's incredible to think that God is not only keeping... When we, when we, why would we ever say, my way is hidden from the Lord? He's counting your hairs as they're going down the drain, men. He's taking care of you. You know, men have three styles of hair, hairstyle. They have parted, unparted, and departed. <laughs> Those are our three hairstyles. Uh, I want to show you a quick verse on this. I mean, so, so God knows about your hair. And, uh, you, know, he, you know, he knows, he knows, ladies. Uh, but let's look at, at what else he knows about you. And it's in, it's in Psalm 139. Listen to this. I'll throw it up on the screen. It says, Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my raising up. Uh, you understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. There is not a word on my tongue, but behold, oh, Lord, you know it all together. I guess that's it. Here's, 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 here's what you need to know about this. He knows what you're going to say before you say it. He knows what you think before you think it. He, hear, he heard that. <laughs> I didn't think anything. Yeah, you're going to. He knows what you're going to do before you do it. 
Now, I want you to think about this, because we never, we never imagine God in his omniscience, the fact that he knows everything about us before we do it. And we have this bizarre idea that God treats us differently in one moment from another, and if we're on our best behavior, we think, oh, God really loves me today. And then the next day, you know, we're not on our best behavior, and we think, oh, I've sort of fallen from the favor of the Lord. Why do we think that? Do you think that God doesn't know you one day? You know, even if you're having a great day, even if you feel like you're really walking really well, God knows what you're going to do tomorrow, you stinker. He knows that you're not going to make it through the day, right? So why would we get caught up in God thinking or thinking that God judges us for where we are in the moment? And I'll give you a profound example of that, and it's the story of Judas and Jesus. Here's my question for you. Think about it. Did Jesus know that Judas was going to betray him? He knew he talked about the fact that he was going to be betrayed. Did he know it was Judas that was going to do it? Yes, he did. And who was the treasurer? Does anyone remember? It was Judas. Did he know G Judas was stealing money? Yes. And yet, how did he treat him? He treated him just like the rest of the disciples. He knew what he was going to do. I want you to put that in your own life for a moment. How would you treat a friend or a family member or a business worker? How would you treat someone if you knew somehow for a fact that they were going to betray you and that they were going to sentence you to death or kill one of your children or do some horrible, despicable thing? How would you treat them? You would kick them to the curb so fast their head would spin. Am I right? There's not a person in this room that would treat someone that you knew. If you, got, you found that out and said, oh, I've got some information that that person is going to betray me, you would dismiss them so quickly in your life. But yet that is not how God works. What God does is he treats us based on what Jesus did on the cross, not what you're doing today or tomorrow or the next day. That's why he forgives your sin, past, present, and future. You're following this, aren't you? That's why he's saying in Isaiah 40, don't say my way is hidden from the Lord. He knows where you're at today. He knows where you're going to be tomorrow. Why do we go to great lengths to hide things from God? You know, sometimes we fake it, right? I mean, Sunday morning, oh, you know, you fought all the way here to church with your spouse, remember? On the way here today, remember doing that? But then you looked at each other, you winked, and you came in smiling arm in arm. <laughs> Who do you think you're fooling? You're not fooling anybody. Do you remember King David when he fell into his little trace with, with Bathsheba? He committed adultery and he went to these incredible lengths to cover up his sin and, and conspired to, to cover this thing up because she got pregnant. And then eventually, you know, he went to, as far as to have Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, murdered. Did it work? Did he fool the Lord? He didn't fool anybody. He got caught. Why did he get caught? Because God knows you. He knows your thoughts. He knows your actions. He knew what David was going to do before he did it. The scripture says, surely your sins will find you out. You say, well, I don't care. I'm not surely. <laughs> so here, this is important for us to understand. That if God knows everything about you, yes, be afraid. Be very afraid. However, you need to chill a little bit, right? Because you can't fool him and you can't hide anything from him. There's a great story I love. It was in the book called When Daylight Comes. It's the story of, of, of Johnny and Sally, and they were sent to Grandma's farm for a week during the summer. And while, we're, while they were there, Johnny had got a new slingshot, and he was practicing with it. And he started taking shots with rocks at, at Grandma's pet duck. And the pet duck used to waddle around the, the yard, you know, looking so proud and everything. 
And anyway, he's shooting at this duck, hits it in the head and kills it. Sally sees the whole thing, but he takes the duck and buries the duck and thinks he's going to get away from this. So Sally decides this is a perfect opportunity to blackmail her brother, because that's what siblings do. And so she says, I saw what you did, and I saw you killed Grandma's duck, and so uh, you're going to do my chores for the rest of the week, uh, or I'm going to tell Grandma. So for the rest of the week, he's doing all the chores, and he's doing the dishes, and every time he, she gets assigned something, he jumps up and does it, because he doesn't want to get caught. Finally, after about three or four days of this, he can't stand any longer. And he figures he'd rather face the wrath of Grandma than deal with the manipulation of his sister. And so he goes to Grandma, and he says, Grandma, I killed your duck. She says, I know. I saw the whole thing through the kitchen window. And, and he, she says, I was just wondering how long you were going to let your sister make a slave out of you. Now, do you know the application here, don't you? God knows what you've done. He knows what you're going to do. He knows what you're thinking about doing. He knows what you're not even thinking about doing, but someday you're going to think about it. And uh, here's the thing. He's not uptight about that. I mean, he doesn't want you to do it. Understand that. Don't misunderstand that part of the story. But he knows the beginning from the end, and he has not lost track of you. But what happens is we allow guilt to get a hold of us, and we start doing things we wouldn't normally do, and we think that somehow we're hiding it from... And what happens is Satan makes a slave of us. That's why we are slaves to sin, because guilt gets the best of us. And he manipulates you. You see, guilt is the gift that keeps on giving. The Jews invented it, the Catholics perfected it. <laughs> I'm kidding, for all you Jews and Catholics. Well, just a little bit. <laughs> and, and so here, here's what I'm trying to get across to us, is that when we begin to understand the omniscience of God, we begin to understand that he is always knowing of all things in our life. So we can actually relax a little bit. And thank God we don't have to relate to him based on what we have done, but based on what he has done, all right? So that's, that's the first thing. The second thing is, is omnipresence. And the omnipresence of God is the fact that God is in all places at once. And uh, there's this little girl, she's walking down the street with her dad, and there's an atheist holding up a sign, and it says, God is nowhere. And she sees that sign and says, look, Daddy, God is now here. I mean, look at this. I mean, that, that, you know, it's the same letters. It all depends on your perspective, how you look at it. And I want to show you a verse out of, I, I, back to Psalm 139 for a moment. And I want you to look at this. Uh, verse 7 says, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold you are there. He says it doesn't matter where you go. If you go to heaven, God's going to be there. This one is mind-blowing to me. That if you descend to the pit of hell, behold, he is there. And so if you can go to heaven or hell and can't escape God, then that means there's nowhere on this planet that God is not. And here's what's important for us to understand about the omnipresence of God, is that if he is there, if he is now here, if he is present and near you, then in any given situation you are in, you need to have that comfort that God is here. And we look into the scripture and we see some amazing stories like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember when they got thrown into the fiery furnace? Who met them in the fiery furnace? The scripture says, and there was a fourth man walking in the midst of the furnace, and he looked like the... 
Son of God. Jesus showed up in the midst of the fiery furnace. Why? Because where can I flee from your presence? Wherever you go, he is there. So a few chapters later in the book of Daniel, we have Daniel. He gets thrown into the lion's den. And instead of being consumed by the lion, who came and shut the mouths of the lion? The Lord did. The angel of the Lord showed up. See, you cannot escape God's presence. This is an amazing revelation for us when we can begin to understand that God is always near and always dear and always waiting to look after us in every situation. Let me illustrate this. Let me ask you a question, first of all. How many of you have ever been truly lost? You were like off in the woods or on a camping trip or hiking and you were really totally lost. Anybody ever been really totally, truly lost? There's several hands. Not everybody's experienced this. Nobody gets lost today, right? Because you all have a GPS, right? And you go, oh, I'm lost, I'm lost. Oh, I'm only a block from home. And, uh, <laughs> you, you know, we all have, no, there was days when we didn't have these GPSs. And I, you've all heard horrible stories of, of kids that were lost in the woods and adults who went on hikes and got lost. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about the omnipresence, the fact that God is always present. And I was thinking of a story, really the only time I can think of in my life where I was truly, truly lost. And let me tell you the story. It was many years ago when I was in, I was in India, and we were doing some mission work. And uh, we were flying out of Bombay, which is today Mumbai. And uh, we'd been there for about three weeks. And so we, we traveled to, to Bombay, and we went and checked into our hotel. And the person who was leading the trip said, we're going to go to this famous uh, Bombay market tonight. And so we checked in real quickly, and we got into these taxi cabs, and we went down to this market um, of the likes I've never seen before in my life. And some of you that come from these humongous cities like, you know, Lagos or Beijing, you would know what I'm talking about. And this is what the market looked like. It was just wall to wall, block after block people. And, uh, and, and so then the guide said to us, whatever you do, stay together. Because if you get lost, we'll never find you. That's what he, that was, those were his famous last words, right? And so we were traveling as a group. We were going around from like kiosk to kiosk and shop to shop and vendor to vendor. And we were, we were going around. And, and so I was doing what I, what I do. Anybody know what I do? I talk. And, and, and so I was, I was going away and I was talking and I was standing there at, at this, in front of this vendor and I'm talking away, blah, 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 blah. And I look around and I realize I have no audience. <laughs> and there was nobody standing there. I thought, who have I been talking to this whole time? And uh, I look around and, and so I'm thinking, well, the group must have gone on to the next vendor. And so I'm looking over this way and I don't see him. I'm looking over that way and I can't see them. And remember, like in India, I'm a head taller than any person there. I can actually see over their heads. And yet, because there was so many thousands, I would say probably tens of thousands of people in this market, I couldn't see my group. And so after a few minutes, well, I thought they can't be too far away, so I walked this way and I couldn't find them. And then I thought they must have gone the other way and I walked the other way and I couldn't find them. And then after about 20 minutes, I realized I was actually lost. And here I was in, the, in, the, in a market in, at night in, in Bombay, a city I'd never been to before. And here was the big problem. Not only did I not know where I was, I didn't actually know where I was going. And what I mean by that was I didn't know where our hotel was. I didn't even know what the name of our hotel was. And so all of a sudden, this intense sense of panic came over me. I thought, I don't know where I am. I know what country I am in. I know what city I'm in. 
but I don't know where I am, and I don't know where I'm going. And I thought, you know, I could go to the airport. I was thinking I could take a taxi and go sit in the airport for two days and wait for my group to, to show up. But still, I, it was hard to, it's hard for me to describe the sense of panic, but you can imagine a little bit, right? I have this real sense of panic. I am lost. I am not finding these people, and I don't know where I'm going. And then all of a sudden, guess what came to my mind was this passage, Psalm 139, verse 7. And he said, where can you flee from my spirit? If you ascend to heaven, I'm there. If you descend to hell, behold, I'm there. And I thought, I'm not lost. God's here. God knows where I am. And all of a sudden, this great sense of calm gave, came over me. I hadn't solved my problem, but I had this great sense of calm. And I thought, okay, God's with me. This isn't a problem. I said, Lord, I wouldn't mind if you helped me out of this mess. <laughs> that was sort of the essence of my prayer. I really could use a hand about this moment. And uh, so then I had this idea, and they have these little auto rickshaws, they're like a motorcycle with a little rickshaw on the back, and uh, they were sitting over there, a bunch of guys, and so I went over to them and I said, I wonder if one of you guys can help me. And I, I said, I'm trying to get back to my hotel, but I don't remember the name of it. And I said, the only thing I can remember was the sign had a sun on it, a picture of the sun on it. And uh, the driver goes, I know exactly where you're going. <laughs> I thought, how could he possibly know where I'm going from that description? He says, I know exactly where you're going. Hop in. <laughs> now, now, now remember, now remember, he's looking for a fare, right? So he may or may not know where I am going. But I thought, it's the only chance I've got. So I get in the back, back of his little taxi, and he takes off through that crowd, that picture I just showed you. He takes off through that crowd, leaning on the horn, and those people divided like the Red Sea like this. And I went through the middle, and I went, oh yeah, he knows where I'm going. <laughs> and he drove me right to my hotel, which was 20 minutes away. And I thought, this is the God I serve, that you're never truly lost, because wherever you are, God is with you. So God is omniscient, all-knowing. God is omnipresent, all-present. And finally, God is omnipotent. Did not the scripture say time and time again that nothing is too difficult for him? And see, when we begin to believe that God is all-powerful, then there is no situation in our life that is too difficult, that is too far gone, that is too absolutely insurmountable or impossible that God can't show up and change. So I'm going to close with one little final story here today. It's the story of George Orr. And George Orr, I mean, you've got to love his name, worked in a foundry. And he was in this foundry, and what happened was some molten metal jumped up out of, the, out of the, the fountain there and splashed him underneath his safety goggles and got onto his eye. Now, he closed his eyes, and he managed to, but the, the, the molten metal burned right through his eyelid and right into his eye, and he became blind in that eye. And uh, he lived in excruciating pain and complete blindness in that eye for 21 years. And after 21 years, a friend of his invited him to church and said, we do these healing services every week at our church. Why don't you come? So he thought, what do I have to lose? So he came, and the preacher talked about healing and talked about how nothing was impossible for God and called him forward, and he got prayed for, and he went away not healed. But he thought, you know what? That was really interesting. So the next week, he went back, and they called and prayed for people again the next week, and he went up, and he got prayed for again, and guess what? He didn't get healed. And he came the next week and got prayed for the next week. And guess what? 
he didn't get healed. And guess what happened the next week? Yeah, you heard it. He went up and he didn't get healed. Anyway, month after month, he just kept on coming. Every week he would come. And every week the preacher would invite people to come up. And one day the preacher said this. You know what? The same God that saved you, if he has the power to save you, he has the same power to heal you. And all of a sudden, something struck in his heart. And he thought, that's true. If God can bring me into this relationship with him, and he created me, and he made me, and he made the heavens and the earth, there's nothing too difficult. And that particular night, he went up and he got prayed for one more time. And guess what happened? Nothing. And he, and he, and he got in his car, and he was driving home. And on his way home, all of a sudden, the road became very blurry. So blurry that he could no longer drive. So he pulled over to the side of the road and he took off his glasses. And all of a sudden, everything became clear. And not only did God heal his blind eye, but God healed his good eye so that he didn't need glasses any longer. That is the God we serve. Nothing is too difficult for him. How great is your God. If God be for you, who can be against you? And greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. Let's stand together, shall we? Church of the Rock has services every Sunday at 1397 Buffalo Place, and we invite you to join us when you're in the Winnipeg area. If you'd like a booklet to help you understand more about God's gift of forgiveness and reconciliation through Jesus Christ, please contact us and we'd be happy to send you a free copy of the Book of Hope. Visit our website at www.churchoftherock.ca. Thank you for watching and God bless you.